0: Joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love, hearts, heart's unfold, heart's unfold heart's like flowers before thee. thee, oh name to the sun. Abba. Abba. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ.
1: Let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into our lesson with one another. God, we thank you so much for the chance to be here today. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, sing songs of praises to you this morning, to lift our voices and our hearts to your throne in that way. We thank you for the chance to gather around your table and give thanks for your son's sacrifice. For us, that gives us the hope of salvation, that gives us uh, the freedom from sin, God. We thank you for the way that that connects not just us to you, but us to one another and us to Christians around the world this morning, God. Thank you for inviting us to your table today. We pray now that as we open up the word of yours, that we will open up our hearts and our minds, God, allow your spirit to move within us this morning and to bless us and convict us in powerful ways. Just. Help us to move closer to you, even in challenging times in life. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump right in. Questions Jesus asked. We're tackling questions that Jesus posed to his followers uh, as they were following him and and going about ministry with him. Today we go to Mark chapter 4 and the question of why are you so afraid, which is a, a, a parallel passage to the scripture that was read for us just a little while ago, but if you want to turn in your Bibles to that passage, Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35, and we're going to read through this particular section together, and then we will come back and we will break it down and try to draw some important uh, concepts and teaching moments from this moment in the life of Jesus, and more importantly, this part of the uh, disciples' lives, all right? So that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along uh, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we drown? He got up and rebuked the winds and said to the waves, quiet, be still, be still. Then the winds died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. All right, so let's, let's kind of break down and talk about some things together. This is one of my favorite Jesus miracles, and, and you'll, I'll kind of talk about why here as we go on. Uh, but he starts out, so the very first phrase here, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples. I think that's an important phrase to understanding really what's going on in the entirety of this story. So let's look at this day. As a matter of fact, let's rewind to before that day, because I believe all of it builds up. Mark is a very quick book. You go from Mark chapter one to Mark chapter four, and you cover a lot of ground very quickly, and, and and maybe Mark goes from he does a quick crescendo in his story. Uh, it is a book of action. It really spoke to the Roman people and uh, the Greek culture that loved action and 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 quickness, and you know very much like our culture today. We are a culture that does not do well with peace or, or quietness, maybe of calmness in our schedule. A lot of people really struggled a couple of weeks ago during the snowstorm because we were stuck inside of the ice storm. It wasn't really snow. The ice storm because we were forced to be stuck in the house for a week, right? How many of you really struggled about Wednesday? Like you were ready to get out and do something. A lot of people were. And so Mark is one of those books. If you were that type of person, the book of Mark is for you. It is a quick, 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 moving, paced book. But So if you go back and kind of compile the story of Jesus, and and look at the stuff from the other gospels. A lot has happened in, in what a lot of people think are about six months of ministry here. The uh, there the the twelve apostles are kind of appointed. They had begun to follow Jesus, but then he has a moment and he appoints his twelve apostles. And during that time, this is the things that those twelve guys experience, and, and that the majority of the guys in the boat. We don't know exactly who was in the boat. We can probably safely assume maybe that some of the apostles themselves were in the boat, but it may not have been all of them, it may have been all of them, could have been some of them, we really don't know, but I would, I would venture to guess that some of them are in the boat with Jesus. But during this time leading up to that day, they've experienced the Lord's Prayer teaching, all right, a, a passage on how to communicate with God and talk to God. They've gone through the Sermon on the Mount moment, right? So those are two of the biggest teachings that they experienced, but then look at the miracles that they've witnessed. They they witness his first miracle. They witness him turning water to wine. They they witness him healing a leper. They they witness this centurion son where the, the 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 things that they had witnessed at that point had been things that had happened right in front of him. The centurion's son is a little bit different to where the centurion comes to Jesus. Jesus gets stopped on his way and he goes ahead and basically sends his healing ahead of him okay? He doesn't have to be in the room when the healing happens. You see the healing at Peter's house. Uh, Peter has a healing in his house, and then there's also a family member, but then there's also a group of people that come together of, of sick and demon-possessed that he kind of takes care of just kind of right there all at the same time. And then you have the lame man uh, at the pool of Bethsaida uh, that is healed. Had been there for so long, and he asked the question, this may be a passion we look at. He goes, What do you need? Right? What do you need? And he's like, I've been here forever and nothing ever happens. And then he kind of gets why he goes, Oh, I, I need to walk, I need to be healed. And Jesus heals him. So their experience with Jesus over the last handful of months, and these are just the things that are recorded, right? But their experience had been full of seeing Jesus work miracles, but it had also been full of a lot of teaching as well. And on this particular day, it was a day of teaching. And in particular, it was a day of teaching on faith. It was kind of like if they had a message calendar. Like, well, what's the message of the day going to be? This was a message of faith kind of day. And so I kind of wonder, Are they? is he teaching to the masses or is he teaching to the guys that are fixing to get in the boat with him? I think it's probably a little bit of both. Obviously, it's teaching to whoever will sit and listen. But the guys that are fixing to get in the boat with him, they are, I mean, mean, he knows that they're listening. He knows that they're paying attention. So he spends the day and he talks about different types of faith, different types of hearts that will receive the word of God. He talks about lighting your lamp and leaving it on a stand for people to see. The growing seed, the mustard seed, you know, the smallest of seed can produce the greatest. The smallest faith can produce some of the greatest things. And so all day long, coupled with, all of these miraculous things that they had seen from Jesus, they are getting a steady dose this day of faith lesson after faith lesson after faith lesson after faith lesson. So this day is kind of over. Now, just just understand that I imagine all of them are ready for the day to be over. I mean, this is a full day of work for Jesus, of teaching and teaching and teaching, and and the, the disciples listening and following and trying to to help in ministry. And so that day when evening came, when when, when the day was over, when it's time to kind of wrap things up, he said to the disciples, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, if you look at other passages and other texts, you're going to see that they're going to a specific place. Now, the Sea of Galilee is up here, in up here in the very top of our picture. Here's Jerusalem, right? Here's Bethlehem. Jesus is born. He's going to spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. Jesus does a really good job of just spending a lot of time kind of in this area, up and down, up and down for three years. So we start out right here in Capernaum, right there. It's really hard to hold this laser still. That's where we start, right? Let's go to this next page. That gets us into the Sea of Galilee. This is where we are. Now, scholars will scholars are split on where we're actually going, even though in other passages it's mentioned but there is a port by this name that's mentioned and also a region by the name that's mentioned. So we're going to one of two places. We're going across to the other side either way. We're going to start here at Capernaum, and we're either going about five miles to this port, or really more than likely, we're taking about a 12-mile trip across the Sea of Galilee all the way down here. Now, how many of you enjoy days on the lake out on the boat? Those are nice, relaxing days, aren't they? And I believe this day started out like that. But that's not where it ended. I also want you to understand when we're talking about a boat, this is a picture of a first century boat that was found and and restored as much as it could be. This is kind of along the lines of what we're thinking about that they're in. When we're talking about a boat, we're not talking about a huge pontoon boat. We're not talking about the modern luxuries that we have today. We're talking about a boat that's about 26 feet long. That is about four, I'm sorry, what does I say? About eight feet wide and about four feet deep, okay? From top to bottom, this boat's this tall, right? And this is this boat would hold between 10 to 13 people, which if you take Jesus plus the 12 disciples, how many people you've got, 12 apostles, you've got 13 people in the boat. I don't know about you, I think 12 people to 13 people are going to be kind of cramped in this boat to start with, right? But somewhere along the way, Jesus and them, they're in this boat, and Jesus lays down in, in, in the back of this boat, and what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to... Sleep. How many of you, the older you get, the more likely you can go to sleep anywhere? You know, when you're young, you don't understand this story. The older you get, you understand how Jesus went to sleep in the back of the boat, right? All right. So let's, let's keep going with what happens while we're in the middle of this boat, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. When I say the middle of the Sea of Galilee, we're about eight miles across, 13 miles, 14 miles from top to bottom. If we're taking this 12-mile trip and we're right in the middle of it, where is there to go when a storm comes up? Nowhere. Nowhere. All right, so a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They are afraid for their life. I don't know, uh, it's hard for me to explain it all, but I was reading some articles this week about the weather nature around the Sea of Galilee. And basically, it is positioned in a perfect spot with the mountains up here and a valley down below it. That the weather is perfect for southern su- sudden, not southern sudden storms, and if you go and watch, get on YouTube and watch some of these videos, it's impressive how the Sea of Galilee can go from completely calm to all of a sudden a windstorm with ten-foot high cresting waves. Now, this is a picture of one such storm on the Sea of Galilee. Imagine for just a moment you're in a boat that at its highest point is four foot tall and 10 foot waves are crashing into you. How many of you would be scared for your life? How many of you would say, we're going to drown? How many of you would be asleep in the stern of the boat? One, okay. It was so easy in this moment to get focused on one thing and one thing only. And that was self-preservation. That was the squalls that were coming in around them, the 10 foot waves. I think from the human perspective, we understand that, right? We understand being afraid. We understand what they would have been feeling about or or worried about. But in our own life, we we don't, we're not always in a boat, right? But our squalls in life, our waves that crash down do come. They come in different ways. If you read through the book of Ephesians, there's three or four ways that Paul talks about our life kind of being turned upside down as he's dealing with things. Uh, one of the things he talks about is relationships. Relationship squalls, relationship challenges in our faith. We put trust and faith in people, and inevitably, if you put trust and faith in someone someone and you have a relationship with them, the human nature of relationships is what? That trust is going to eventually be broken, right? So they're going to break it on their end, and then eventually you're probably going to break it on your end. That's the nature of, of us as people. But when relationships mean something, right? When they are, are heartfelt, when they are family like us in a in a church, when relationships have squalls in them, man, they hurt. They feel personal. When you have squalls in relationship in your own personal family dynamic, they can really hurt. They can be painful. When you see children, you know, when you have squalls within your children, but relationship squalls come into our life. They give us great challenge. They give us great pause. We have circumstance squalls in our life, circumstance storms. Circumstances are things that we cannot control, but we, tried, we try so hard to control them. I mean, you go back and look at the previous uh, week we were talking about with all the ice. It doesn't matter how much prep work you do to the roads when an ice storm's coming through. It doesn't matter how much prep work you do. It doesn't matter how much you try to control the situation. When it drops to 12 degrees and there's water everywhere, what's going to happen? It's going to turn to what? It's going to turn to ice. It doesn't matter what we try to do. We can't control the circumstance that is right in there with us. But in our life, so many times, we, we work so hard to try to control everything. And the harder we squeeze to control, the more things slip through our fingers, right? And oh, it tears us up. It turns us upside down. And Paul says that those things are going to those things are going to happen. Those things are going to come, you know. And if you're not careful, you let a bad day turn into a bad week, turn into a bad month, turn into a bad year because you're trying to control the circumstances and the storms that are coming. He also talks about things, and and I think that a lot of times our things aren't necessarily the major squalls in our life, but it's something that. If I'm having other challenging storm moments and then I start having problems with my things, my car breaks down, this happens, that happens. It just compounds onto, it's just another wave and the one wave's not so bad, right? The one wave's not so bad. It's the follow-up wave. How many of you have rafted the Okoi River? How many of you have rafted the Okoi River? I've rafted the Okoi River four or five times Always, the, the first the first go arounds were always as a youth group member, and then I went as a youth minister in charge of a group. And my my little raft went down first, and we get to the through the first little thing, and then we turn around, and we you know it's our job to watch everybody come through. So everybody comes through, then our our raft ends up in the back, and you and you kind of rotate like that down the river. Well, I'm in charge of all these teenagers. I've never been in charge of a group like this before, and the next two rafts that come down the river full of kids that I'm responsible for all dump out. And I'm like, if they die, it's my fault. And I've never been back with, with a group. I've, I'm like, I'm not taking, I'm not going to be responsible again. Cecil's talked about going. I'm like, Cecil can be in charge. I'm not going to be in charge, you know? And, but I, the, the last time I went as a youth group member, I have a buddy, his name is Jeremy Murphy. Jeremy Murphy is about six, five, six, six. He's a tall guy. He's kind of hard to fit down in this, Raft anyway, but we go through like we go down this dip and up this thing and down another raft and uh, wrapping and around, and we're getting smacked with waves. And we get to the end of it, and this is what happens in life, right? These are these thing squalls, the compounding. We get to the end of it, and Jeremy throws his arms up in the air. He goes, "I made it!" And then that last wave goes, "Whoo!" and Jeremy's gone. You know how hard it is to pull a six-five guy into a raft that's four foot wide. No matter how far you fall back, he's not all the way out of the water yet. But that's what happens to me with thing squalls in our life. That everything else is going bad and there's just one more thing and one more thing. And that last wave just hits us and we're like, oh my goodness, does anybody care? Does anybody care? Jesus, God, do you care? So I think that those moments come into our life and we're floating around in this little boat and 10 foot waves are hitting us. And Jesus is asleep, and, and we're flustered. I think this can be a snapshot of where we find ourselves sometimes. i just overwhelmed and tired and soaking wet. The last time we were on the Akoli River was a major rainstorm that came through. And I thought that once you got so wet, you couldn't get any more wet. But I just kept getting more and more wet going down. And, and, and we feel that way in life sometimes. That When I think it can't get any worse, when I think I can't be any more wet, here comes another wave. And our boat is being sloshed around. And we find ourselves saying what David says in Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who else? Who else cries out that phrase? Jesus does, right? In a moment of being overwhelmed by everything that's go on, going on, he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish? My, cry, uh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night but I find no rest. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Let me ask you right now, are you praying that prayer? This is a prayer of confession, a prayer prayer of question, a prayer You're sharing our heart. Maybe you're praying that prayer today. Maybe you're wondering, God, where are you? Do you even care? And one of the things that we're going to see is that he does care. How do I know he cares? Because of the next phrase, he got what? He got up. To me, that's one of the greatest statements of this particular passage. Do you not care that we drown? Do you not care about what's going on? He cared enough that he what? He got up. He got up. People that care, they get up. People that love you, when you're having a hard time, a difficult time, they don't stay seated down. They don't stay asleep. They get up and they help you solve whatever challenge you've got going on. So he got up. And then when he got up, he solved the problem. He removed what looked like their greatest fear. He rebuked the wind and the waves said, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. So other passages, and when you look at it in the wordage, in the original language, it's it's not like it was a sudden or or an over-the-time stillness, right? It's not like it was, he got up and said, quiet, be still, or peace, be still, as we're so used to hearing, and it slowly started, it was, he gets up, hey, everything stopped and what happens? It stops. So we've gone from a thousand miles an hour scared for our life to nothing. And I really believe for a lot of us, we are actually more comfortable in the storm of life than we are in the calmness and peace of Jesus. We're more comfortable in the storms of life than we are the calm and peaceness of Jesus because we feel a lot of times like we can control what's going on in the storm. We're trying to toss water out of the boat you know, and we feel like we're doing something, even though we're filling more and more, filling up with more and more water. But we're, we're we're active. But when it's quiet and calm, we just have to be what? Still. And a lot of us struggle with stillness. You know, I really wonder who he's talking to with this. I mean, I mean, obviously he's talking to the winds and waves, but do you think maybe he's also talking to the disciples that are in the boat with him? Hey, hush. I'm trying to take a nap. Be quiet. I don't think that's what he was. I don't think it's about the nap. But do you think that maybe he's telling their faith to calm down as well? Then he turns and looks at them and he goes, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Now to us, again, we get it, right? We understand why they are, we understand why they are afraid because they think they're going to die. They think this thing has come up out of nowhere. They think they're going to drown. Their life is at stake, at stake here. And he goes, do you still have no faith? And that is such a fair question because of the list we've already talked about. What have they seen Jesus do for six months over and over and over and over in their life? They have seen him do the impossible over and over and over. And we do the same thing. We have our moments with Jesus. We have our moments where he calms our fear. He heals our pain. He fixes our relationship problems. He does all of these things. And we look back and we know that he's answered all these prayers. And then when the next storm comes, we're still like, oh, Jesus, where are you? Come on. Do you not care? And I think he's looking at him and going, have you not learned anything yet? Have you not learned anything yet? It's like the video that floats around from time to time on social media. The mom's holding the pot with the pot holders and the kid keeps trying to grab the handle and she goes, it's hot. And they reach back, he reaches back up and she goes, it's hot. And they reach back up and she goes, it's hot. And eventually as a parent, what do you just want to let them do? Just grab it, right? Just let them grab it. But you don't want to. It's like, I have told you, you've seen this over and over and over. Have you not learned anything yet? Have you not learned anything yet? Have you not learned that Jesus can even be trusted in the storm? Jesus can even be trusted in the storm. But no matter what's going on, He has told you over and over, I've got you. Everything's okay. I'm in control. If Jesus, the creator of the universe, is in your boat and He's sound asleep during a storm, then obviously the storm's what? Obviously the storm's not that bad. But sometimes our perspective is that our greatest challenge is not the outward, but the inward. I think that was their challenge. They had a fear that was based, I'm sorry, a faith that was based on fear. They needed Jesus because they were what? Afraid. They didn't need Jesus because they knew he could do great things. It was their last last ditch effort. Hey, do you not care? We're trying everything here and you're not doing anything. Jesus, wake up, do something. They forgot that Jesus can even be trusted in the storm. This is what it says. This is the last phrase. And they're fixing, you know, they're going to go from this and then they're going to see him continue to heal and continue to do things. And it's just one thing after another. But it says they were terrified and asked, they went from being afraid of the storm to afraid of the one who calmed the storm. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And it's like they finally get it. I look at that statement. It's like they finally get it. They finally understand that no matter what, Jesus can be trusted. Why can Jesus be trusted? It goes back to the very beginning of the story. And this is the same thing for you and me this morning. Jesus told them to do something. What did he say? He said, let's go over to the what? To the other side. If Jesus gets in your boat and says, we're going to get in this boat. and We're going to go to the other side. What does Jesus probably mean? We're going to go do. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. They forgot the promise, the command, however you want to word it from the very beginning. They were leaving the chaos of the crowd. They were leaving the stress of the teaching and the ministering. They were to get in the boat and they were going to go to the other side. And Jesus was so confident in what was fixing to happen that he went to sleep and didn't worry about it. He tells us the same thing. He says, if you become my child, if you hear me, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, if you will enter into that relationship and have your sins washed away and become a member of My family, he says, if you'll get in the boat, we're going to make it to the other side. That was his promise to them. That's his promise to you this morning. We're going to the other side. He he didn't promise it's going to be easy. He didn't promise there weren't going to be storms in the middle of the sea. He didn't promise that it was going to be just all kumbaya the whole time. It's going to be full of a lot of those moments, but it's it's also going to come along with times that are going to test our faith and challenge us, but we have to remember the beginning statement of the story, the beginning statement of our relationship with Jesus. Let's go over to the other side. He's already there. And he says, when it's time to get here, I'm going to come back and get you. I'm going to get in the boat with you, and we're going to finish. Until then, we're all in the boat together. I don't know what your storm looks like today. Maybe you're not in a storm, and, 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 and praise God for that, right? Thank Jesus for that in the most powerful way, that your storm is not going on right now, but that also means that you have the ability, the capacity to jump in the boat with someone else and help them in the middle of their storm. And that's the hard part in life, right? That's the hard part of being a family is when our life is peaceful, when our life is going well, when there's nothing disrupting our life, God says, get in someone else's boat and help them out. Help them find peace, help them find calmness. And it is completely against our nature to jump into someone else's else's chaos, isn't it? But he says in the book of Colossians, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. He doesn't say coming to church fulfills the law of Christ, although it's important. He doesn't say that singing fulfills it. He doesn't say that preaching fulfills it. He says carrying each other's what? Burdens. Loving one another fulfills the law of Christ. All those other things are important. We need to have those in our faith. But he says you're going to know. He tells his disciples, he says you're going to know people are going to know that you serve God by the way you love one another. Not by how often you go to church, but how you love one another. So this morning if you are in a moment in life where your boat is peaceful, say thank you Jesus. Say I praise you for that. But then look for someone's boat who's in the middle of a storm. And jump in with them and help them carry the burden. Maybe this morning you're in your boat and it's the middle of the storm. Remember this one thing. Jesus has said, we're going to the other side. You're going to get there. No doubt about it. Don't question it. He's promised you. He's given you everything you need. He has provided. And if you're looking at something, you go, I don't know, I need this, but he hadn't given it to me yet. Listen, he's already on the other side of that statement and making sure that you've got what you need when you get to the moment you need it. One of my favorite images of prayer in scripture comes from the book of Daniel that Daniel has prayed about something and then there's some time that goes by and then the angel comes to him and talks to him and said, hey, when you prayed this, I'm sorry I'm late, but when you prayed this, God went ahead and sent me ahead of you Right? God's not bound by time. He sent me ahead of you to answer this prayer. I was held up by the devil. This is a remix, but this is what it says. I was held up by the devil, and I'm just now getting here. But I want you to know that God sent me the moment you prayed. The moment you pray, God puts the answer into action. It may be down the road before you see the action, but He's already answered it. He's already put the answer there ahead of you. The answer's in the storm if that's where you are. Just look for it. Understand He's in your boat and that you have the calmer of the storm right there with you. What are you afraid of this morning? Hopefully, you find the faith to not be afraid of a whole lot. Hopefully, you have the faith to really, after today, to lean into Jesus more than you've ever leaned in and to know that he's going to get you to the other side. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for the chance to be together. I thank you for the chance to to be in the boat with one another. I know that sometimes being in the boat can be uncomfortable. It can be challenging. It can be overwhelming as in this story. But help us to remember the truth of the beginning of the story that we're going to the other side. That's what we're told. Help us to never lose focus of that, God. Help us to be the type of family that, that jumps in each other's boat and helps bail out water and helps bring peace and calmness, God. Help us to notice when our sisters and brothers are, are being challenged and to try to take a little bit of our peace with us into their challenge if that's where we are, God. Help us to look to you in all things. It's in your son's name we pray.
0: Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember to love like Jesus sing.